Hey guys, this is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com. Welcome to episode number, I think it's 12 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. Today's guest is Head of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Richmond. It's uh, Jada Mayer. So thank you very much for taking part, mate. I know you've had a long day already. Hey man, appreciate you having me on. Man, it's awesome to, uh, to have you on. Uh, kind of talk a lot about your seminar, talk a lot about you on the blog and... Um, you know, no question that you've been a massive uh, influence on my thinking and my, my career as a coach. So it's awesome to uh, to get you on and kind of share your ideas with people as well. Because you know, one of the things that you said to me is that the really good coaches are the ones that you never hear from because they're kind of at the coal face doing it. So to me, you're you're one of the guys that are doing the real good shit. So I want to you know share what you do with everyone else. Right. Well, let's uh, let's start cracking at some stuff then. Cool. So um, we've just been at the uh, Boston Sports Medicine Performance Group Seminar. Um, I've kind of put up my notes about that, kind of highlights for me. What were uh, what were the big things that you took away from it as well as, you know, you doing your own presentation there as a speaker? Well, I think the biggest things were from the third day, to be honest, the, the catapult uh, leaders talk where – a lot of things looking into how to develop grit, uh, which obviously is something that's really, really intriguing to anyone in athletics because, you know, the whole idea of mental toughness is one that, I mean, it's just a crazy talk. Yeah. Um, and looking at how you build your team, uh, there was a young woman there from HubSpot who spoke about how they build their culture and they hire people and they bring people in. Uh, and that's, that's, it was priceless. Like what she had to say, like looking and, and evaluating and things like that. Um, the atmosphere, you know, and, and how you, you develop your, your culture and your team and who works there and yada, yada, yada. Um, Coach Boyle, spoke next and he was as always extremely candid with his opinions and his thoughts yeah. and what he sees. <laughs> um, it's always great to hear him talk because he really like, he, he just shoots from the hip. You know, he tells you what a spade is and it's, it's great. Um, Eric, who you've mentioned on the website spoke and, uh, I mean, it's, it, guy's resume is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, what he's seen is, I mean, just the, the stories he can tell you about teams and how they've developed is, is mind-blowing. So it was really, uh, I mean, those are the first four talks. You know, so you, you get through that after two days of the other talks and being out, you know, sipping sodas with coaches, talking shop till whenever in the morning. And, and after that, all of a sudden, your brain starts to cramp up a bit. But it was... Uh, it was pretty fantastic. No doubt. Art does a great job. Absolutely, yeah. I thought it was a very, very good seminar. So kind of talking about that that mental toughness side, um, this actually came up on, on the uh, the community, the Rugby Strength Coach community. And um, somebody put up a video about, about the, the selection process for the Australian Institute of Sport for the Cyclists. And basically, um, the approach that they're taking now is they bring the girls in for a, th- a three-day camp. And they just motherfuck them for three days. And they just want to see who's going to break first, kind of, you know, SEAL style. And somebody put that up and said, what do you think about this? And I just think my experience from the rugby side of things is that if you've got an athlete who's a pussy, they're going to be a pussy at the end of it, no matter what. It, to me, it seems very, very difficult to to try and toughen somebody up in that manner. And I think a lot of mental toughness is just being situation specific. So it's how comfortable are you and how used are you to, performing at that level and performing under pressure rather than, you know, kind of suffering. What's your thoughts on that? I agree with that. Uh, I agree with that quite a bit. You know, I mean, what was James's story? Like, you could take a Navy SEAL and chuck him in the octagon with Brock Lesnar and they'll be scared shitless. And then you could take Brock Lesnar and throw him out of an airplane and have him paratroop in with a bunch of SEALs and he'd be scared shitless. Yeah. Um, I think even more so, like, when you look at kids now, these millennials, I think it's more even about, like, if they actually care, yeah. you know, like give a shit factor. Like if they don't, like when you look at like conditioning tests and all these things, like you'll push yourself as far as you're willing to push yourself. 
And if you care about your team and, and all those things, you'll probably push yourself more. So I don't know if it's just situational specific yeah. or it's just your kind of give a shit factor, but I mean, I'm sure there's more to it. You know, and, and the woman who was giving the talk, like, she had some great things, and I'm really hoping to be able to sit down and talk with her more because she says that grit is developable. But, you know, there are some things with these kids that have never been in a situation where they fail that I don't know if – I don't know if they've missed their window. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like if you're 20 years old and your whole life everybody's been telling you how awesome you are and how great you are and you never do anything wrong and now all of a sudden you got, you know, a coach calling you a D-bag and like MFing you all over the place. Like, I can see why you'd fold. Um, so I don't know. I think that, you know, Hank said, what did, what did he say? Mental toughness is just trusting in your training. I think that has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. So following on from that, culture is another thing which obviously is is massive. Um, that dinner I, I put up a video about, we, we sat down with Eric Kelland and he was with the Chicago Bulls and more than anything, he talked about the value of culture and the mindset more than any, anything about training. How how trainable or developable, developable do you think that is? Because I've kind of been in teams where people have made a real effort to kind of, we're going to act tough, we're going to MF the guys in training and all that stuff. But then there's another school of thought where I think culture comes from attention to detail and doing the boring stuff when nobody wants to do it. It's, it's not a mindset where you're going to be a tough guy. It's actually doing the stuff day in and day out. And rather than trying to develop tough athletes, trying to develop good people first. What do you think about that? I think that that's a very good point, And I think that it actually comes from the two distal parameters. I think it comes from the head guy. And I think it comes from your bottom dwellers, like your lowest players. Yeah. Because if the people at the two extremes are bought in and are taking care of the details and are focused on all those things, then everyone else in the middle seems to come together. It might be something that is sort of leaned a little too much onto people that do strength and conditioning for teams or the performance training or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't think at the end of the day that it would be able to be altered completely from there because the, the guys know, you know, the kids know, hey, uh, you know, Jay's going to yell at me and make me do all this stuff, but if I'm the best player, I'm going to play. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, it's, it's the boss man at the top that's making those calls. Yeah, because he's going to dictate the culture more than, well, he ha he has a lot more of an impact on a player's career than you do, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a kid like that. <laughs> I had a kid who, you know, I don't know what the the case is with say D one basketball about kids that know they're going to make it, but I dealt with a kid once, and a, a lot of the rugby kids, in terms of towing the line and and being a part of that culture, you can you can kind of hang it over him if you need to and say, look, if you don't toe the line, you're not going to make it. The problem is, if you've got a kid who's a dickhead and they absolutely know that they're going to make it and everyone around them knows that they're going to make it, it's it's really, really difficult as a coach to try and turn somebody around like that. Right. Until kids start to not make it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what is it? Like the Bronx Tale in the movie where they talk about wasted talent. Like, you see that a lot and it's it's too bad because it's, kids who think that they're a step above, but really they're probably two steps behind. Yeah. <laughs> is that your dog there? My neighbor's dog is just trying to attack Sochi through the glass. <laughs> All good? Yeah, she's fine. Cool. So, um, you're, you're head of strength now at Richmond. How did you get to that point? How do you start? I'm head of basketball. Chris Stewart's our director, um, so I'm kind of the number two, but we, um, shoot, I came here from Indiana State where I was a graduate assistant, I was a, an intern, paid intern, and I've been lucky enough to hold on, <laughs> you know, survive in advance through three different directors, um, 
before Indiana State, I was an intern at SUNY Binghamton, and I did my undergrad at SUNY Cortland, okay. which are state schools in upstate New York. Yeah, and was that a kinesiology degree? It was, yeah, it was phys ed, concentration in adult fitness, exercise. And, and what prompted the decision to become a strength coach? Uh, I got hurt, and then I stopped playing soccer yeah. uh, in, in college, and we, back then, late 90s, early, early 2000s, was when a lot of ATCs were starting to pick up stuff in the weight room, and the whole strength coach thing started going. Yeah. Uh, Farron Bennett, who was our one of our ATCs, asked me if I'd be interested, and kind of the rest was history. I got uh, to work with... Ice hockey and softball to start out, and then I picked up baseball later on. Okay, and then, so how long were you at Indiana State for? About 18 months. Okay, so it, it wasn't a long tenure there. Was it because kind of Richmond came calling? Uh, it was kind of two factors. My boss there, Kip Hittrick, took a job at UMKC, and the other GA and I didn't know if we were going to have a job come Monday or not, <laughs> and I was lucky enough to get a phone call where they were like, you want it, and I met with the guys, and was lucky enough to get the gig. So you've been there for, for 12 years now? This will be year 12 starting, yeah. Fuck, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hot minute here, you know, a lot of people move around a lot in the States, so, I mean... Been lucky to, to be here, but again, you know, is it is it lucky to be there or, or what? I don't know. I mean, it's success it leaves clues. Yeah, you know, but it is a good gig, and I work for a good head coach. Um, you know, and, and we every year we've got a chance to be really, really good. I, uh, you know, it's and Richmond's an awesome town, as you know. You've been here, yeah. Um, so it's it is it's it's pretty sweet, man. There's you know, there's there's not a lot of people that get to. To live in the same townhouse for seven years to yeah. do this. And um, so you're working just with basketball now at Richmond. Do you do other sports too? I do do other sports. I work with field hockey, swimming and diving, men's tennis, and then I oversee a couple other teams that assistants work with. How do you find the... How do you find that, or is it difficult for you to try and train across all those different sports? Because I know that you really get into the detail of it with sports about what are the sporting demands... What's the state of the athlete? How do you build a bridge between the two? That's that's got to be quite a lot of work for you. The way that you do it, it's hard. It's, obviously, we can't be as in depth with all the monitoring and that stuff as we are with basketball. Yeah, um, that's your flagship sport, of, right? Say again. Basketball is the flagship sport, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's just kind of the the evil reality that yeah. is college athletics. Um, I am really lucky to work with an awesome swimming and diving coach yeah. who's a genius who does a lot of things that are kind of along those lines but not as quite the same. Um, but I, would, I wouldn't be using hardy monitors if it wasn't for Matt Barney. Really? I mean, that's, oh, that's, I mean, that's 100%. If it wasn't for Matt Barney and Matt Credits, the two swim coaches I worked with, I never would have got into heart rate monitors. So really this whole... I don't know what you want to call it, this technological evolution that we kind of went through Yeah, uh, is 100% because of swimming. Um, field hockey, we've tried to do some stuff with. It's hard. I mean, there's like 25 girls, and when I'm putting 45 to 50 hours a week just into men's basketball, yeah. so that's breakfast, practice, lift, conditioning, recuperation stuff, that doesn't even count getting on this laptop here and banging out all this paperwork and looking at these numbers and seeing what's jiving and what's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had another team that's twice as big. I mean, that's, that's a little bit to ask. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're trying. I mean, like you met Andrew, and he and I are trying to figure out ways that we can kind of do it but not – not so encompassing yeah. or engulfing with our time. I mean, it's not because the women don't deserve it. It's just because I don't have it. Yeah. And and you, it's going to be a lot. It's going to mean a lot more for the university and job job security that 
you know, you go to NCAA with the men's basketball, then say they suck and the field hockey does awesome. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So you, you got uh, you, Andrew, as your assistant. Do you have, how many interns do you have? Uh, right now I have two. And how do those how do those duties get assigned? Because you know one of the things that I talk to coaches about the 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 longer that they're in the profession and the higher up they rise, um, kind of less at the coal face they they actually are, and they spend more time managing people and managing numbers and and liaising with coaches. Like I spoke to somebody about uh, a performance director at their club, and I said, "Do you see him in the gym?" He said, "No, nope. we see him in the morning meeting." We see him in the evening meeting, and we see him about three feet away from the head coach all day, whispering in his ear, just trying to guide the whole whole session. Yeah, I'm not that, and I don't. I don't know if that's what I would ever want to be. I don't know if I'd ever say I wouldn't want to be it, but I don't know if that's what I would ever I'm say I want to be. Um, I'm still on the floor every day. I'm not. I mean, I'm 36, so I'm probably not as woohoo. <laughs> between you and most of the strength coaches in my opinion you know you're you're all about the sport you're all about the sport technique yeah and, and even more so I'd say general sport technique so like we do a lot of things similar with basketball and field hockey looking at it where it's like how you cut um, how you jump how you change direction how you sprint what exercises are going to have carryover what movements are going to have carryover how the jumps are going to play into all that. You know, I mean, if we wanted to talk about swimming, I mean, that's a whole other animal because really the only thing that anyone's ever found that I've found, so I guess that would be the only thing I've ever found, yeah. that correlates to swimming performance is height and anthropometrics. So if you're tall and you've got long limbs, you should swim well. That's it. You know, yeah, well, I mean, but seriously, like, people want to talk about with swimmers, and this, this kind of rattles my cage. Like, people want to talk about, like, we got to train them to jump. Well, I mean, you're, you're a smart guy. If you're jumping vertically against gravity in the air, how is that anything like when you're jumping horizontally with gravity in an aqueous solution that is going to slow you down if you're pushing against it? Yeah. What? How? No, you're wrong. Like, that can't be right. Like, just, just think of it. Um, and also, that's a tiny proportion of the race. Like, presumably, technical issues and, and oh, yeah. developing power in the stroke is going to have a far bigger effect on performance than the one turn every 50 meters. Well, yeah, but see, in America, we in college, we swim 25 yards. Oh, okay, cool. That's why Americans are usually great off the wall, but the good American college swimmers may not be the best Olympic swimmers. Because yeah. they're awesome off the wall, but they suck at swimming. Yeah. Because it's basically half the distance. But really what it is, is it's how much velocity you can hold on to off the wall to the next wall. And it's, I don't know, like we've messed around with a lot of stuff going from like static positions. Yeah. So like squats out of the rack or like deadlifts. Um, I, to be totally honest, and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to validate it. Yeah. Like, oh, they swam faster. Well, they've always swam faster. <laughs> like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's swimming is such a crazy different animal. But like with the rest of them, are there differences with some of the stuff tennis does and some of the stuff basketball does and field hockey? Of course. But like a lot of the jump progression is pretty similar. Most of the cuts, plus or minus two or three, are similar. Um, you know, most of the dock stuff, we just add more specialized stuff with tennis. Yeah. So you've kind of identified, particularly in basketball, that those are, you know, key movements, for example, the cuts and various different patterns that they're going to run. 
I think that I agree with you. That's a massive thing in that if your key performance indicators on the, the pitch or the field don't improve, your program doesn't work, no matter how big, strong, fast you are. With that in mind, how do you quantify something like that that you've identified as being important? Because that, for me in rugby, that's where we struggle because we've pretty much got um, maybe a reactive agility test, uh, loaded and unloaded sprinting in acceleration and top speed, and then, then we struggle. You know, golly, that's a billion-dollar question, bro. Yeah. That really is. Because now, so I'm super-duper lucky. I have a video guy with our department and our team with men's basketball who's as big of a numbers nerd as I am. Yeah. And Tommy Strine and I talked about what we do and what we're looking at. And I'm like, you know, the only way I think that we really could say anything we do matters is if these four or five different numbers get better in the games. Sure. So he set it up so that the video tracking system we use counted them. Okay. And it counted them from the year before. And Uh, what are those numbers? So times we were beat off the dribble, times we beat our defender off the dribble, times uh, our percent of backdoor cuts passes completed. Um. Good grief. What was the, the fifth one? I don't remember the fifth one. Oh, um, percent of times we kept people in front of us on closeouts. Okay. And uh, obviously, you, you're seeing those numbers improve uh, within the context of the strength program. How, how do those numbers or how have they influenced actual uh, match outcomes? Because obviously, I suppose that's, that's the real billion-dollar kind of question is how it influences win-loss. Well, jeez. A lot of factors there, obviously. Yeah, yeah, a ton of them. Um, You would think. I mean, well, we didn't play in the postseason last year. We played the National Invitational Tournament this year. Yeah. And we're probably three possessions away from going to Madison Square Garden for the Final Four in that. Shit. (laughs) So I guess maybe. I mean, I don't know. Because, like, that's such a loaded question. Yeah. Because I'm not going to ever take credit for wins and losses. Yeah. Mark Watts put something up about that. Listen, like, Chris Mooney, my head coach, gets paid a lot more money than me. He's a, <laughs> he went to Princeton. Yeah. He's way smarter than me. And he has built something that is exponentially bigger than I am. Yeah. I'm just happy to be my little cog in the wheel. Sure. But I do think that some of the things we do allow his players to do more of what he wants them to do better. Yeah. You know, that's it's one of the funny things about team sport is there's so many variables there that it's when you're doing that soul searching thing about actually how much value do I really bring to this team? It's a difficult question to answer. And, um, you know, Mark Watts at elite FTS, put someone up the other day, he said, unless you're going to put up your hand and, um, say that your program is the reason that your kids lost at the weekend. You can't say that you're the reason when they win, <laughs> which I thought was amusing. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's, here's something like the system and it could be the system we run, the kids that we have, the way we do things, whatever. We've never been good at rebounding. Really? A lot of people, yeah. A lot of people, well, not never. We've never been awesome. But we've, we're usually not great at rebounding. Yeah. A lot of people would say, well, that's a weight room thing. But is it? Like, there's so much more to it. So, I mean, could you say we dribbled past our, we, we beat our opponents off the dribble more times this year than last year because the kids learned better moves? Sure. Yeah. 100%. I wouldn't argue that. But could you say it's because we worked on cutting and changing direction? Sure. Absolutely, Maybe. yeah. You know, it's could it be because they work together? That's probably a better idea. Absolutely, you know, yeah. There's always the, the, the specific skills and the general skills that kind of 
blend together to give you what hopefully is a better team. Absolutely. So I know from from speaking to you that some some key features of your program have been um, the the one set of twenty rep program from from Doctor Yesis. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to that and uh, why you think that's the most appropriate thing for your guys, and also what kind of results it's it's produced for you on average? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's. Um... The overall simplicity of the situation with that is that I have guys who really have never trained before. Sure. We can build them up. And everybody likes to talk about slow cooking and blah, blah, blah. But what I think is really neat about it, along with the other things that we do to monitor these kids, is how they fit together. And it allows us to adapt as we need to adapt and improve as we can improve. And the changes are very plastic. Because you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Now, the first question people ask all the time is, well, don't you or the guys get bored? And my answer to that is, well, me, no. The guys, I don't care. Same. Um, You know, because what we'll do is, so if we were to train tomorrow, we'd run a 10. It's week two. I'm sure we'd be 10 for 10. Guys would run a 10 faster. Wednesday, they'll come in and jump. They'll all jump higher. Because we don't, I don't believe in dosing them with exercise to a point where they aren't able to adapt to it. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing with Doc, with that part of the program, with looking at it, volume and intensity, is you're only giving them what they need, not what they can handle. And an effective dose, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really awesome. Um, it sounds crazy. It took, a little bit of bravery for me, I think, uh, to be able to go away from the five three one or whatever, yeah, and do that. Um, but I don't regret it whatsoever. And what's the rationale for that? Just picking that 20, 20 repetitions per set range. Is it because they're at a training age where you're going to get the transfer to those? abilities on the left-hand side of the force velocity curve, but you're also getting to train other stuff so it's like more bang for your buck. Well, I mean, Doc gives a whole plethora of reasons. He talks about um, capillary density, connective tissue strength, strength endurance. Um, But really, I think my biggest thing is everybody starts when they start with a new kid at three sets of 10. Yeah. So we're going to go a little lighter, two-thirds of the volume, we're going to repeat it three times in the week, and we're going to really focus in on just banging out technique. And that's where we see the most improvement, is that these kids learn how to squat, they learn how to bench, or whatever we're doing, and it's, it's better. Um, they, they move better, they, and it carries over really well. And are they training whole body three times a week, same exercises for those, those three sessions? Yeah, until they become stagnant on something, and then we'll change it. And... and- are you changing rep range, volume, or are you just changing exercises? Um, until I think that the squat is just too much at 20, then we just change the exercises. Okay. And are you going to maintain that through the whole four years, or how does that progress? Well, we'll start there, and then when we get to a point where it's like, all right, it's time to change it up, we drop them to 14. Okay. Again, one set again? Come again? One set again? Yep. Okay. And then we'll go to one set of eight, an upper and a lower day. Yep. Um, the second time through, in between that 14 and that eight, we may do a set of eight and a set of 14. Okay. Um, and then the third time through, we do some different stuff in the beginning, you know, because at that point, we've got guys that are squatting double body weight for a single, easy. Which is big when you're dealing with guys that are close to seven feet tall. That's yeah, big. yeah, like six six guys. I mean, not like not squatting like Piros Demas catching a clean. Yeah, but you know, squatting enough where I'm like, all right, you know, that's pretty good. Um, I want to say that we had of our returners, we went 19 for 20, 95 percent or higher at the end of the season. Uh, squat and bench. Now, of course, those are just two lifts. Like, who, 
that really don't matter at the end of the day. But those are our strength measures. And what's crazy is we didn't touch a barbell. We didn't put a bar on their back in 2015. And we didn't bench from about mid-July or mid-January, excuse me. And they were all hitting or setting PRs three weeks, four weeks after the season. Really? Um, what, was, what was the reason yeah. for uh, taking away that load? Was it just the season demands? Well, we were, we were playing seven guys. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, when you play 30 games when you're 16 in, who cares at that point? Yeah. Um, How many games is it in a season? 32 regular season. I want to say we played 36 this year. In a season of how many weeks? Oh, good grief. Mid-November to... The last week of March? So you're playing multiple games per week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you train around that? Say again? How do you train around those demands in season? That's, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. I'm, I'm about to jump into the same thing with us in the World Cup. We've got couple of five-day turnarounds and then a lot of travel on top? Well, I, I think a lot of that, luckily with us, with the monitoring stuff we have, uh, is, that's very assistive. But really, it's trusting the kids and being able to evaluate how they're moving and how they're going and knowing that at the end of the day, like, how much in the weight room do they really need to do at that point? Yeah. You're not going to get any stronger, but you can get a whole lot worse, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not, we're, we probably aren't going to win a game on Saturday because of the lift we did Thursday, but we can lose it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk a little bit more about the readiness stuff that you do? Because um, attending your seminar a few years ago, like I tell people that was one of the, those presentations where you walk out feeling like you're a fraud. And that was the, the first time that I really got into the topic of readiness and uh, absolute game changer. Yeah, you know, look, first of all, of course we're lucky. You know, I'm, I'm really lucky. And if it wasn't for, for Moon being as forward-thinking as he is and as supportive of what I do, that I wouldn't be able to do any of this. But it started with heart rate monitors, looking at kids when we were doing the conditioning work. And that branched into a team system and then the Omega Wave. And now it's everything we do team activity-wise, other than lifting, is on a heart rate monitor. Um, games not either yet. Yeah. And, um, you know, a bunch of lifts on a gym aware. And every morning we show up for breakfast. They run their Omega Wave. They answer their questionnaire. We put some numbers in the computer. And it gives me a one to four based on an if statement, one being we're ready to push it, two being uh, repeat what we did last time, three is bag it down, and then four is either recoup work, cue work, or send them home. Um, and is uh, all components within that readiness that they do in the morning, are they considered equally, or do you weight it in, in favor of, of one or the other for example, you know, questionnaire. What's what's the golden standard for you that that tells you that the athletes aren't ready? Well, the kids when they show up, to be honest, because at the end of the day, all of this stuff isn't a deity, right? Like it's yeah. not like all of a sudden some little like gold Buddha with a, an electrode on his head is going to come down and be like, "You destroyed what you were supposed to do because of what Omega Wave said." Yeah. If a kid shows up and he's flying around. And it tells me, and all these things are telling me we should probably not do it. And he's rip roaring and ready to go. You know, I may, I may let the leash go on the puppy a little bit and let him run. Yeah. Um, I may not let him do everything. I may not let him go crazy. Um, you just need to know that there might be a cost to pay tomorrow. Now, being that we're in May, that's easy. You know, like if I need to back down Tuesday and Wednesday because. Monday was killer. Who cares? When we get to the season, that's when it's different. I mean, I'll pull a shoot real quick. Yeah. Because I could not care less how much you squat in the season. Yeah. I could care how much we win in the season. Um, but we, when we look at it, the thing that we probably weigh the most, that has the most pull 
or the most different like lines of the if statement is the omega wave. Mm-hmm. And then the questionnaire, we're looking at variations of the norm. Okay. So like, I got a guy every day. What's up, Jay? Yo, what are your numbers? Three, 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 four, four. Yeah. Every day. But all of a sudden, if he comes in and he's like two, 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 one, one, then you're worried. Right. Then now we know we need like even if the Omega Wave says, "Yo, Craig's green, ready to go, windows of trainability wide open," but Craig's telling me my life blows. Like perception's the whole game, right? When yeah. it comes to stress, so maybe we manipulate things that way. Or vice versa. Like, you could say he's all yellow, and then, like, that three, 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 four, four might be four, 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 five, five, and maybe we bump him up a group. You know, again, like, it's just knowing coming in what I'm thinking and then adapting on the fly as we go. So it's, it's almost uh, like a safeguard to prompt the conversation with your athlete rather than just use that data by itself to make decisions. It's then going to it's there to make sure you talk to the athlete and kind of find out where they're at. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. Do you have, um, do you have set uh, modifications to the program in mind? So, you know, if I'm a kid in your program and I turn up and I'm a two, um, you mentioned doing the same again. Is that exactly the same again? The exact same workload from the week before? For the most part. Um, you know, if we're looking at like bar velocities and such, obviously it would be very difficult yeah. To match reps. Um, and we still may cut them short. We still may let them go long. But load-wise, like weight-wise, it would all be the same. Yep. That's where we're looking more at like... So if we're supposed to move forward in the jumps, if you're a two, we probably won't move forward. Yep. Um, unless everything is just bouncing all over the place. Yep. And it's like, how do you feel? What do you think about... You know, and then... If you don't push them forward on the conditioning stuff, because as much as as big of a role as energy system play has to do with it, right? If you're not better at the sport, so like if you just build a bigger engine yeah. and you suck, then you just suck longer. Yeah. So if you can become faster and all these other things and build a bigger engine, yeah. well, then you're better. So, so power like, before capacity, right? Yeah, without a doubt, and it's. And even, I would say, technique before power, before capacity. Yeah. Um, because you can be, like, you can have all the pop in the world, but if you don't know how to move, you ain't going to move. Sure. Yeah. So if you if you dial them back, what what's the, the kind of modification? That you, if I come in and I'm a three, what are you going to do uh, to dial back the load? Is there anything, some numbers that you have in mind? Well, there may just be, like, we may cut... So if you're one of my advanced guys, we may do the stuff, the, the squats that would be based off of our our bar velocity things. Yeah. And then we may just cut it. Okay. Do your abs, do your back raises, instead of all the auxiliary stuff. So you're just um, cutting that like high CNS intensive stress. Yeah. Or if, if the reason they're down is because CNS intensive stuff is not what they're ready for, we might flip it. So maybe they don't do the intensive stuff and they just do the one by 20 stuff. Okay. And then the, the recuperation, what kind of stuff are you favoring? Do you give them options about what they're going to use or are you quite prescriptive in the activities that you're using for regen? The conditioning stuff always comes back to putting them in a heart rate zone. Yeah. Uh, the lifting stuff more often than not is I just ship them. Okay. Um, especially now this time of year, you know, first I'll ask them why. Like if, if we come in on Tuesday because it's a holiday weekend and they're freaking charred. Yeah. You know why. Like what do you, what do you, why are you being a dumb dumb? Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe that's not a time where we ship them. But, you know, like opening the conversation because what if it is something that's like real, like that's bad? Yeah. Um, you know, again, We've been able to monitor and manipulate things well enough that we were, were more often than not threes and, or excuse me, ones and twos than threes and fours. 
Yeah, I kind of had this conversation with somebody the other day and um, just said, you know, if you're managing readiness, you, you should hardly ever come in with a guy that's like low, low readiness where they're just dragging ass because you should be managing the workload well enough that you stimulate them enough to reduce it to say like a medium readiness, you recuperate them, get them up to high readiness and just it's that cycle again and again. Yeah, and it's, we've been, again, Knockwood, lucky enough that we haven't had to talk too much with the sport coaching staff about what's going on upstairs with them because we're preparing them well enough that they can handle it. Um, And that's always good. You know, when you don't have to, when you don't have to kind of blur lines and cross over to situations that are really uncomfortable um, and you can, I don't know, bandage it at least enough in your realm that they can get done what's important, which is their practice, then that's good. Talk to me about um, conditioning. So I know that Omega Wave, or it, it was when I looked at the system that you had a few years ago, it would pump out uh, recommendations of intensities to work at for developing certain adaptations. Does it still do that? And are you basing your conditioning work off that? Yeah, it does. And how we'll do it, the easiest thing to talk about then would be Thursday, right? Because that for 90% of the guys is just cardiac output work. Cool. So what we'll do is we know the two zones that are important, right? There's the recuperative and then there's the, the one right above it. And if they're a one, they're the upper half of the higher zone. Yeah. Two, lower half. Three, upper half of the bottom zone. Four, bottom of it. So it's, yeah, it does it does help. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's all, again, it's not, it's not a deity. It's not, this is precisely how exactly we're going to do it. Yeah, but it's a very, very excellent source for assisting us in putting these kids in a spot where we think will allow them to be more ready tomorrow. Yeah, how how are you progressing uh, that energy system work or the the work capacity work through say prep and, and into the season? Are you, what what adaptations are you going to target and when and and how do you flow that from from one kind of block into the next? Well, in the summer, and I tell our, all of our coaches this, we have two seasons, right? We have aerobic and we have hard. Yep. So we have the off-season, everything's aerobic. So our guys, our younger guys are following Doc's mile regression, which is going from the mile down to like hundreds as they progress. Just okay. really general, basic fitness stuff. I mean, kind of like, like a, a long to short kind of thing. Yeah, but almost like, middle school physical fitness test, like prep past stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it works great. Um, and it's really like awesome. Uh, our upper level guys, as long as the resting heart rate is below 60. Yep. Um, right now they're doing the high intensity bike rides. Yep. And that'll switch when we come back in the fall to hill sprints. That's the, the high intensity continuous bike rides. Yeah, yeah, so the flip. Yeah, flip, 30 flip. RPM kind of thing. Um, yeah, 20 to 30 RPMs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go into the, the high resistance intervals. Say what? They, they After that, they go into the high resistance intervals, so they're kind of well, five, six-second explosive effort, and then... Yep, five seconds, max distance you can cover running into the hill. Yeah. And that's big, is having them run into the hill. Like, people always think that you run up the hill... But you have to run into the hill for it to be what Yuri talks about. Um, I don't think that, like, a lot of people look at that and they're like, man, that translation's off. I don't think it is. And it feels different when you run into the hill. Yeah. Um, In terms of, say, producing horizontal force and recruiting yes. the right musculature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do that, and then we'll do some more higher end stuff. Um, so. Like right now is like low and medium, we could call it, like heart rate zones. Yeah. And then we'll go low and then high yep. in the fall where 
maybe instead of like our bar velocity stuff, it's for our type two work where it's high velocity, max effort, almost a failure till it slows way down. Yeah. Uh, that'll turn into like running 120s to 150s, like balls out, like I'm chasing you with a hatchet. Yeah. So that kind um, of glycolytic power and capacity work. Yeah. Okay. And it's that plus the hill sprints. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, again, we've been all right with it. It seems to be effective. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that quite? it matches quite well the, the activity demands of, of basketball? Because it, it, does it vary? You know, like it's quite end-to-end stuff? Yeah, well... The, the problem with doing any of this stuff when it relates to basketball is like way more basketball is off straight ahead yep. than straight ahead. So it's hard to do anything high speed or really fast and explosive and not do it that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's – that's tricky. But since we practice eight weeks over the summer and we practice – whenever they're in class during the school year, I don't know if I need to worry about that as much as I think I do. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of think as well that, you know, people talk about match fitness. Like I, I agree to a certain extent that playing the sport can develop work capacity, but then nobody ever talks about match speed and match power because there's no such thing. Like playing the sport is not going to make you stronger and faster. Right. In no, my that's opinion. A great point. <laughs> yeah. Um let's talk a little bit about uh you know another another game changer for me that made me feel like an idiot was Natalia Verkashansky. You've you've brought her over to the seminar a couple of times and I know that her her jumping progression is a massive part of, of your program. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how that program's evolved for you guys? Yeah, well first of all, she's the greatest human being I've ever met in my life. Um She's one of the nicest people. She's she's fantastic. And, you know, she's helped ext- extremely uh, by passing on what her dad taught everyone. Yeah. And communicating it in a way that even I could understand. And developing it to an extent, you could say. Yeah, you could say that. Um, but really, it's understanding that it goes from the running exercises to the jumping exercises to resistant jumping exercises, combined methods to plyometric step jumps. And then combining that with like what Doc talks about where there's some static jumps and different side to side jumps is really, uh, it really is awesome. I mean, in that plus one by 20, I mean, our freshman guys, the first time they go through the program, assuming they don't play much their freshman year, um, I mean, they'll put, Four plus inches on a vertical. Which is big. They'll pull two tenths, three tenths off of a 20 to a three quarter court sprint. Um, and, and they get strong, man. I mean, like, I, I think I've got like two returning guys who can squat, who don't squat over 400 pounds that are basketball players. Like, you get strong. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty fantastic. How, how do you progress that? So you start off with the real kind of extensive stuff, basically just training all those different joint actions within running and jumping, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. The extensive method is, is the one method from the Verkashanskis that has been completely overlooked, completely – I mean it's like, uh, it's like they're Cinderella, you know? Like yeah, I agree. Extensive short coupling jumps are the key to so much because that elasticity, that bouncing effect – Shows up everywhere, man. Especially like cutting, change of direction, accelerating, all sport. those things. <laughs> it's basically sport. <laughs> yeah, it's like shit that matters. You yeah. Know? Just bouncing on and off a box, springy runs, leg to leg bounces, 45 degree bounces. You know, building that and then slowly progressing in the long coupling exercises, which is the push. Yeah. Um, the actual force component, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I. Dude, we're, we're two, three years in with some kids just starting to get extensive with some of them. Really? Or intensive, excuse me. Yeah. Like, how long can you go? How far can you go? How fast can you go? Like, again, if you if you don't go crazy with it, those 
low-level stressors, man, they can help for a long-ass time. Yeah. So you, you're not even going to ask those questions about how high or how fast can you go until you're until they can answer the question, how relaxed are you, how good does it look, how clean yeah. is it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, now we'll measure verticals and stuff like on a Vertec, but yeah. that's different. Yeah. You know, we won't go – I mean, we got guys now that like – They'll have a, a gym aware on, and they'll do consecutive barbell jumps, and it's like get higher than your boy. Yeah, you know, move it faster than your boy. Yeah, always it's good for motivation. Up. Huh? Always good for motivation. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does uh, how do sorry? How do you select between? Because I know Verkashansky talks about it's the 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 kettlebell squat jump. The barbell squat jump, and also is it the barbell scissor jump? How do you select which one to use, or is it a progression? Huh. It's part of the progression. It all kind of fits together, and I guess I just look at it and I say, "What is going to be able to carry over more, and what can they do safely?" Yeah, like a six ten seven foot kid doing a kettlebell jump where they reach, you know, lower than their feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or even a scissor jump. That, that was a special exercise for weightlifting. Got you. Um, but can you put a bar in his back and just do consecutive squat jumps? Yeah. Sure. And you're happy or to split, just use that? Yeah, split jumps, sure. Yeah. Uh, high box jumps, great exercise. Going way up, way up, way up. You know, great exercise. Um, You know, those may be better choices. Uh, Is uh, the use of depth jumps something that you expect every kid to be able to qualify for in that four-year program, or is it used extremely sparingly? Yeah, no. As Natalia said so very well, it is the cherry on top. Absolutely. Because I've not had a rugby player do it yet. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do I think that I probably have guys that could have done it earlier that haven't done it? Yes. Yeah. Do I regret it? No. Yeah. Because that's that's a, a big stimulus to use, right? Yeah, it is. It's a lot. Now, I got, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I got four guys that I think they're ready. Yeah. Like we, we probably need this, and we'll start dabbling in it at the end of summer, and this whole fall will probably... That'll probably be their main intensive stimuli through the fall. Yeah. But other than that, let's see, boys. You know, like if you're getting better, if you're getting faster, you're jumping higher, you know, your tense through your acceleration's better, and you're moving better on the court, and those guys that are your position coaches and they're cool with it, what we're doing, and you're getting better. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to use it. I don't want to play that card for you if you don't have to have it played yet. Because once it's played, it, it loses its effectiveness every time you use it, right? Well, yeah, you got war. You just have to intensify it more. So instead of having them jumping off, you know, twenty inches, now it's got to be twenty four, twenty six, or twenty eight. And now you're looking six ten, two hundred fifty pounds, two hundred sixty pounds coming down from. Two and a half, three feet. It's a lot of force. That's a lot, you know. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm off like Samsonite. I don't know, but I just don't know if that's the best route to take. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of I've had this uh, discussion with uh, some rugby strength and conditioning coaches where they feel that in order to, quote-unquote, shock the body, keep the boys entertained and all this shit, they need to change the session every single week, change the content every single week. And to me, that's you're playing those cards and you're just exposing your athletes to all that useful stuff that you could have used when you need it down the road. Yeah. And listen, if you need to keep changing things up for them to be entertained, what are they there for, yeah. right? Like, if you can show them they're getting better, who cares? Yeah. And they say, well, I'm bored, but like, you're bored, well, now you're faster and you're a better basketball player. Yeah. Or you're you're more powerful and you're a better rugby player. Yeah. What is boring with this? Like, what kind of an asshole are you to tell me that, like, this isn't what you should be doing? Like, yeah. you're getting better. <laughs> like, 
sorry. Here, what do you want? Yeah. Want to go do curls? Knock yourself out. You know, like, it's stupid. Yeah. We're not here to entertain them. We're here to make them play better. Yeah. Period. Nothing boring about winning. No. No. <laughs> Winning's awesome. I love winning. Yeah, on the rare occasions that Argentina do win. <laughs> you guys did well last time, huh? Hey, we're, we're getting there, man. But, um, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times, the, the Central Virginia seminar. That's, uh, that's your baby. How did that come about? Funny. Uh, it came about because they got called out. Um, we used to have, like, a little mom and pop, like, clinic where people would show up and, I don't know, man, like, cover a bar tab or whatever. Just be like, oh, I was talking to high school guys. And I'm like, nobody does this for basketball. I should run a figure out a way to do an awesome clinic for basketball. That'd be great. Yeah. So I like before spamming was illegal, I sent an email to every division one strength coach in the country and asked them if they'd be interested in it. And Charles Stevenson, who was at NC State, uh, wrote me an email back and was like, I'm so interested in it, I've already put it together. Um, so I helped him put it together and it's been Charles is killing it with this he puts on like this amazing symposium every year just about basketball so I'm really I I, I hope that I helped a little bit with that yeah well I come back and my boss at the time is now the director at Wake Forest ripped me because there was this awesome clinic that ended up being in Raleigh, North Carolina, and our clinic sucked. <laughs> so from there, I built this. Uh, the first year we bombed, uh, I had to cancel it. And, really? What uh, year was that? Yeah. 2010. Okay, it was like so two I... and a half days. Yeah. I mean, dude, it was nuts. It was nuts. Like, I went way over the top. It was <laughs> insane what I was trying to do. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, but like, that's what happens. It was like, you won't put on the best clinic around. Oh, oh, you don't think so? All right. I mean, <laughs> Game on. Chuck's coming. Yeses, the Diesel Crew, Buddy, um, Martin Rooney. Yeah. We talked for like a whole day about their whole speed system. I sold like four seats. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked. And uh, it like hurts me to say that. Yeah. Uh, so I pumped my brakes and uh, we put it together and it's been going ever since. And it was, man, that, I think the first one I did was 2012, awesome, best seminar I've ever been to, and then 2013 came again, and, and we took that awesome road trip to uh, to Westside and to Cal's seminar in, in Minnesota, and who you got lined up this year, 2015? So, right now, it is Ben Peterson, Brian, Dr. Dr. Ben Peterson, Dr. Brian Mann, Landon Evans, Cal Dietz, Jim Snyder, um, Dr. Mike Gentry from Virginia Tech, Andrew Althoff from Baylor, Eric Corum from Kentucky, and Steve Magnus, who is the cross-country coach at the University of Houston, the guy who wrote literally the book on the science of running. Yeah. Um, as we talk about the clinic, though, there's another guy who needs a lot of credit who uh, is a good friend of ours, and that's, of course, the late, great Bob Eilenfeld. And if we wouldn't, Half of those guys that I just mentioned, I wouldn't know if it wasn't for Bobby. Um, yeah. Shit, man. I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for Bob. Absolutely, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's um, – I, I owe him a lot. And he's uh, he was always a big supporter and a super guy. And it's, he's definitely missed. Yeah. It's um, – man, that was an extremely well-connected guy in the industry. <laughs> you ain't kidding. Yeah. I, I think I remember as well, we were talking about – how you how you recruited these speakers because, like you said, you know Steve Magnus wrote the book on the science of running. Natalia wrote the book on plyometrics. Valna Zedkin pretty much wrote the book on uh, readiness. These are like to me these are world class speakers. And I asked you, I think it was a few years ago. I said, how do you get these people to come? And you said, oh, I just emailed them. And that was yeah, uh, Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah, that I was off through Facebook. Yeah, like people. You know, I think that's a great lesson to people out there who who do want to meet people and do want to try to open themselves up to opportunities. It's just you do just need to Facebook and email people, and most of them are human beings. Yeah. No, I mean, like, listen, if you're going to email me, I'm not going to promise I'm going to get you back within like 15 minutes. Yeah. But I'll do my best to reply to people. 
you know, I'm, I'm also not probably going to hand out everything I've done for the last 12 years here to just some random guy off the street. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, all of us understand where we came from and someone had to help us out to get us where we were. And we had to have support of other people who were above us to move forward. Yeah. And that's why I think most people and what we do are, are so willing to assist others. Yeah. So um, what, what date is the seminar this weekend? It's in July, right? July 16th and 17th, sorry. And um, what's the deal you've got on? Because this is, I'm, to be honest, I'm pissed off that you changed, you, you know I'm pissed off you changed the date. I can't make sorry. it. <laughs> I know, why is it sorry? So it's 2.50 for the symposium. Yeah. Which is a day and a half of the lectures. If you're coming from out of town, I know Richmond's not the easiest place to get to. We're going to give you for $150, so 400 total. Uh, we've got your housing on campus, which is literally a stone's throw away from the lecture room. Uh, your food. So we've got dinner Thursday night, breakfast Friday, lunch Friday, dinner Saturday. Um, so your rooms Thursday, Friday, all your food. And then the socials are on me Thursday night and Friday night. Um, that sounds so, like a fucking good weekend. <laughs> yeah, it could be a good Thursday and Friday, you know, because people have been like, well, why, why did you do that? Well, because it's about $150 a night at the Marriott. It is, yeah. It's more um, than that, I think. Yeah, so it's, you're basically getting your, your food, your, your two nights lodging, and, you know, a couple adult beverages, or 12, uh, for the night, uh, for the price of one night at a nice hotel. Now, people who haven't been to Richmond, We'll just have to take our word for it. The campus is pretty okay looking. Um, it's very nice. Yeah, and, and they actually treat housing in the summer like a hotel. <laughs> so I've been told. Like, they actually asked me, they're like, so do you want linens? I'm like, is it extra? And they're like, no. I'm like, yes. <laughs> do you want housekeeping? I'm like, is it extra? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess... It'll be everything other than the chocolates and the pillows, um, you know, that you would get at a at a hotel. I mean, it's and it's a sixty five thousand dollar a year institution to go to school there. Yeah. So I can't imagine the beds are too uncomfortable. <laughs> and how are you making money off this? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of value. For the most part, we don't. Um, what I've been lucky to make has been some really amazing relationships. Yeah. I mean, would it be awesome to be able to pay my assistant more because of this or, oh, I don't know, make money? Yeah. But how do you put a price tag on standing at the bottom of the Spanish steps in Rome with Natalia Verkashansky? Yeah. Um, like, how do you put a price tag on, like, us – spending three days together in Boston. Yeah. Like, dudes who literally have never lived on the same side of the world again. You know? Uh, the relationships with Calvin, with with Val, with Anatoly, with Hank Krasinov. I mean, like, if you would have told me, like, six years ago that you would consider Hank Krasinov, like, one of the people that you would, like, do anything for, like, in this world, I would have been like, oh, okay. But I mean, like, that's the biggest thing that I've, I mean, that's the greatest thing. Yeah. You know, and the stories and the, you know, the relationships, not just within the industry, but in like different companies as well. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So what's the, what's the web address again? CVASPS.com. Charlie Victor, Apple, Sam, Peter, Sam.com. Love it. <laughs> I'm going to recommend everyone goes to that. If I could, uh, if I could make it, I would. I'm sorry. I can't be there. Know, You're gonna have to uh, have a couple of drinks in my honor. Oh, totally, bro. You know that. Yeah. Well, listen, man. We're hitting an hour, so uh, I don't want to bore people. I'm uh, people don't have an attention span these days. I'm gonna wind it up. Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Anyone oh, to pay attention man. to in the industry? Oh, attention to in the industry. Other than the people that I told you that are gonna be at our seminar, um, if I were to direct people to look at things. If you need other podcasts to listen to, obviously, Mark Watts' with Elite is great. Ron McKeefries is great. Uh, the Iron Game Chalk Talk Radio. Uh, 
Pacey performance is great. If you drive for a while and need something to listen to, we put some stuff out. Um, some very good stuff. Yeah, I hope people like it. Um, it's it's hard to coach and do all this, as you know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you want another website to read, man, Grayson Hoffs helping the best to get better. Yeah. Is uh, think about Hank, man. He's a big, tall Dutch dude. He don't hold no punches. He <laughs> tells you what it is, when it is, and how it is. Yeah. And uh, it's it's real. It's real. Um, I I I read it every time he puts something new up. That's awesome. Thanks very much for that, man.